And and most of the businesses surveyed reported significant difficulties associated with doing business in China. So, you know, they listed bureaucracy, IP rights infringement, protectionism, those sort of the usual suspects list of difficulties. But still, the vast majority, 83% of the the companies said that they would increase investment in China in the coming year. And and so my reading of that is that the the benefits or the opportunities associated with being invested in China outweigh the costs or the challenges. Was that your experience with Intel? Uh, yes. And uh, you know that that tension is always there, and uh, you know it can change pretty quickly. Uh, but uh, you know, for us, certainly, uh, direct investment, foreign direct investment in China was. Uh, Something that was uh, useful, and that uh, you know we looked at as a long-term investment in China, and as a real part of our uh, program to expand our our market in China. So uh, we went into it with our eyes wide open, and uh, that was good because uh, it is a continuing challenge uh, given uh, the nature of the uh, government and the marketplace. So what were, I guess, what what are the key benefits or what was the business case for being in China? Well, several things. Uh, first, you really want to plant the corporate flag when you're in a foreign country, uh, you don't want to just be a, a salesman, a peddler coming in hawking his wares uh, to the local market. If you have a factory there or a laboratory there, it really is a sign of commitment to the marketplace that plays well anywhere, uh, and China uh, included. Uh, it also allows you to tap into the local talent base. Uh, you know, we found around the world that uh, you know there's a there's a group of people that uh, you know, really want to do good technology and they want to do it at home. So as a result of that, you'll find Intel laboratories and factories um, in a fairly wide variety of countries, particularly the laboratories. Um, and I think you can also operate more effectively when you have nationals on your staff. It gives you a better understanding of the marketplace. So that, that plays well. Okay. So when you talk about tapping into to talent in, in China or the other countries. And, and was, 
was it the case or you know to what extent was it the case that folks were educated in China stayed in China to work or were were people leaving China coming to the US or other countries for education and then going back and and interested in working in an Intel facility well, it was a mix mm -hmm. you know there were we, we had both uh, you know they at least when I was there, the prevailing model tended to be that you know for the very best talent, uh, they were you know getting their undergraduate degree or even all the way through to a you know a PhD uh, in China at a place like Tsinghua or uh, Beida, and then uh, going over to the United States to do postdoc work or graduate school work, depending on what level they went. And then um, some would stay in the U.S., some would come back. But, uh, you know, that was, that was the model for, I'd say, the, the cream of the crop. Um, I'm not sure how that's changed in recent years. But, you know, we also uh, drew heavily from uh, the, you know, the very good universities in the United, in, in China, uh, people coming right out with master's degrees or PhD degrees, in some instances, uh, undergraduate degrees. So okay. we had, you know, we had a lab in Beijing, we had uh, software in Shanghai, and uh, it was, uh, you know, very, very good uh, source of talent for us. Okay. So what were some of, so, you know, that's, the opportunities or benefits side, what about the, the challenges? Um, you know, if you listed your top three or four challenges that you faced while you were there, what were they? Well, uh, first of all would be, of course, the, the concern about unintended intellectual property transfer. Um, you know, Intel, the family jewels are, are technological capabilities, mm -hmm. and you want to be very careful in how you uh, expose that intellectual property. And so we were uh, always very concerned about that, and we're concerned about that everywhere, not just China. But uh, in China, certainly, that was, that was one of the things that we worried about, and we would, you know, make sure that uh, people were only exposed to and had access to um, our technology trade secrets and proprietary information on a kind of a need-to-know basis. Also, when you get into something like manufacturing in a, a, in a chip factory, um, you know, the knowledge base tends to be that any the knowledge that any one person has tends to be only a very small segment of the total picture. So that's one way, this sort of segmentation of knowledge that you can protect IP. Um, so that uh, plus good security practices and the need to just keep moving fast, uh, you know, the chip industry changes all the time, uh, and it's very complex. 
so you, you really you really keep pushing the boundaries of knowledge and so that whatever leakage of IP may take place, uh, you're moving beyond that. So that's you know, the whole area of IP transfer is uh, is a concern to a, to a company like Intel. Mm -hmm. um, second, of course, the, the U.S. government uh, is there uh, controlling the uh, export of technology. So there was an ongoing dialogue with the U.S. government over what we could sell there and what technologies we could uh, export to the country. And you know, that, that continues. Mm -hmm. uh, I think a good deal of progress has been made in that area, but that certainly continues. Uh, you know, we just opened in the last couple of years here our first uh, wafer fabrication factory in China, in Davian. And, uh, you know, to comply with the U.S. government uh, laws, that is a couple of generations <coughs> behind the, the absolute bleeding-edge state-of-the-art uh, in chip technology. It's still quite advanced, but it's not you know, totally leading-edge. Okay. Because we wouldn't, have, we wouldn't have been able to get a, uh, uh, the approval of the U.S. government if we, had, if we tried to do something more advanced. So, um, you know, that is, uh, those, are, those are some of the, the chief challenges that uh, you know, we faced in you know, bringing our technology uh, into the country. Okay. So, so you mentioned unintended technology transfer. What about, uh, you know, it seems like some companies have, I don't know if, if complained is a fair word, but have talked about forced technology transfer. So if you want to operate in China, you have to have a joint venture and you have to share your technology with, with the, um, the Chinese company. What did you face any of that? We did not, and that uh, varies by the industry. Uh, you know, when I was there, uh, direct in, foreign direct investment by semiconductor companies you know, fell into the uh, quote-unquote encouraged uh, category. They, the Chinese had no really competitive semiconductor companies at that point. And so they really wanted to see the, the Intels and um, the Siemens and uh, other companies coming in uh, to invest in China uh, in the chip business. It's a whole lot tougher if you're a car company. General Motors had to give away a, quite a bit of manufacturing technology when it got started uh, in Shanghai. So it varies by by industry, and it really, uh, you know, the more uh, the, the smaller the base that the Chinese already have at home, uh, the easier it is for a foreign company to come in, and the fewer the demands that are made by the Chinese government. Okay. It, 
it seems like, and, and you mentioned this last time we talked, that that the hot button issue these days uh, might be indigenous innovation policies, including domestic content mandates. Did you face any of, of, of those kinds of rules when you were in China? Well, the, uh, the indigenous innovation policy, of course, is something uh, pretty recent. Um, so when I was there, we didn't face that as a formalized policy. Um, but certainly one thing that uh, you know, was a problem then when I was there, and I think it continues to be a problem in China because it's, it's, it's basically a mindset, and that's the problem of local standards versus uh, international standards. And we talked earlier about you know, things like the WAPI standard mm-hmm. and encryption standards and that sort of thing that um, you know, the Chinese from time to time will attempt to impose uh, in order to provide advantage for local companies. So, you know, that, uh, that's an ongoing problem, I think, the, the local standards problem. Um, indigenous innovation, I think, is something that uh, China's going to have to tread pretty carefully in that area because it can be a, um, a real, real stumbling block for anyone looking at the market. Um, you know, I think also they're going to, ultimately need to sign on to the government procurement agreement of the World Trade Organization, mm-hmm. which they've never done. Uh, they, when they uh, were approved for the WTO membership in 2001, they you know, said at the time that they would uh, join uh, pretty quickly, but they've been dragging their feet for a long time on this. So, and that, you know, part and parcel of the indigenous innovation policy that that government's flexibility to favor the local local producer. Right, right. And of course, after the, this most recent strategic and economic dialogue, they said once again that they will, in fact, get rid of that rule. But it sounds like that's uh, kind of been the the line anyway for quite a while. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they it, they're very good at holding out hope while <laughs> dragging their feet as long as possible. So, uh, what about and and I'm asking this actually because we're also one of the other issues in depth is is the currency issue. To what extent did the valuation of the RMB affect affect Intel's business in China? I mean, was that something that was really on your radar? No, not really. Um, I'm not sure what it, what Intel's doing at the moment, mm-hmm. but we have always um, conducted our business in dollars. Uh, so. That really has not entered into uh, the equation in terms of you know the strength or weakness of a local currency. Now, certainly, you know a, a stronger 
uh, RMB would, uh, you know, certainly benefit uh, the ability of the uh, local population to to buy computers. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's fine. But no, it was not a not a factor for us. Okay. Okay. So, and, and you you talked a little bit about um, some of the factors that made China attractive, the the talent pool, for example. Um, when when Intel was looking at a location, and and when we talked last time, you also mentioned tax policy and and subsidies, even direct payments. Are there other factors behind a location decision? You know, uh, in addition to the the tax policy, um, direct subsidies for locating there, the the level of education of the the local population. Yeah, that, that's a very uh, multifaceted decision mm -hmm. uh, when you're looking at what, where to put a factory. Uh, you look at all the things you mentioned, uh, plus. Uh, Things like trans transportation infrastructure. Uh, in the case of chips, you uh, you move your product in and out uh, quite a bit. Uh, you know, we'll we'll uh, fabricate a chip in one geography, assemble it in a in a second geography, and maybe ship it to a third geography, uh, which you can do with a you know, very lightweight product. Uh, like a computer chip. Mm -hmm. So transportation infrastructure, getting the product in and out of the area is important. Uh, customs uh, efficiency and throughput is important uh, to a company like Intel for the reason that I just discussed. You know, you, you're moving product around pretty quickly and you don't want to have a know, a seven-day throughput uh, in the local customs office. And, you know, in Shanghai, for example, uh, where we had a, a test and assembly plant, we worked closely with the local government there and were able to significantly decrease the throughput time for product moving through the customs office. So that sort of thing is important. And, and that really speaks to a uh, you know a, an intangible um, factor, but that's sort of the attitude of the local government toward business. And in China, uh, the local governments tend to be pretty eager to have uh, foreign direct investment coming in, so they uh, do a lot of work red tape and to really uh, make it easier for foreign companies like Intel to operate. Uh, when we build our factory in Chengdu, for example, there they established an Intel office in the local government. So it was one-stop shopping mm -hmm. for all permits, uh, any problems, it was all brought to one office in the Chengdu government and uh, the problems were taken care of. So, you know, the, the, the local governments are also very, uh, very competitive with one another. 
in order to attract uh, you know, foreign investment to province A as opposed to province B. So there's a, you know, a lot of, it's, it's, it's a good marketplace from that standpoint. You know, as, as you've been talking, I, I think back to, and, and clearly it's, it's a stereotype, but I think there's still a, a widely held perception that China is the maker of plastic stuff. And, and it sounds like what you're, I mean, what you're talking about is a lot of pretty sophisticated um, manufacturing, R&D. Has, has that been a, a fairly recent development? In, in terms of what, what Intel does in China and sort of the capabilities of, of the Chinese labor force? Or, or has it been that way for much longer than anyone would imagine? Well, I'd say it's been a, you know, a, a process over the last uh, you know, 15 to 20 years. Um, they keep uh, you know, trying to move uh, up the spectrum toward higher technology, higher value-added mm -hmm. kind of manufacturing and services businesses. So uh, you get uh, you get some uh, very good support over there because the country knows that it uh, it needs to move up the chain. It, uh, you know, it's going to lose the low value-added manufacturing uh, to places like India and Vietnam and Bangladesh, and its future really lies in higher value added manufacturing and services. So uh, it's, you know, it, they're, they're still lagging in some areas, but uh, you know, they know where they want to go and they know how to get there. Right. So. Does the do do the universities sort of the top universities that you mentioned ever did they ever go come to you and say um, how can we shape our curri curriculum to better serve your workforce needs or was there any of that kind of collaboration on curriculum and educational programs? Very close working relationship okay. uh, with the uh, top universities, and this is something that's a worldwide program at Intel. Uh, we depend on the top technical universities as uh, you know, a great source of talent for us. So you know, we had in China relationships with uh, Tsinghua, uh, Beijing University, Shanghai Jiao Tong University, Fudan University, uh, the University of Science and Technology in Chengdu, and I'm sure there are many more than that uh, since I left China. Um, so we would uh, put uh, computer laboratories in there, and we would keep them updated uh, so that you know engineers were learning to uh, operate on Intel-based computers, and so and we would. We would set up a laboratory and then come back and, um, in a couple of years and refresh the laboratory and put you know, state-of-the-art technology into state-of-the-art computers into the lab. 
so that it was always up to date. Uh, we sponsored research at some of the factories, I mean some of the universities, and we, um, we also uh, gave some contracts uh, to universities. Uh, we, uh, when I was there, gave a rather large contract uh, to develop an open source compiler for uh, one of our computer architectures. And in that instance, you know, the, there was no IP concern because it was open source. Mm -hmm. um, so yes, I mean, the, the, the short answer to your question is a very close working relationship with the universities because uh, it's in their interest and our interest to uh, you know, be, have a good flow of information uh, between the two. Right, right. So my, my last question, then I'll turn it over to Andy. I was, uh, I was talking with Clyde Prestowitz. Do you know Clyde? Sure do. So I was talking with him the other day about, it, and our conversation was spurred by the, the AmCham business survey. And I said, you know, based on that survey, based on conversations with you and, and other executives, of companies, you know, invested in China. I said it. Of course, the the um, you know the issues raised, the IP, the domestic content, indi indigenous innovation. Those issues are important. But I said, you know, it seems like companies are are yielding so much benefit from being in China. Clearly, the opportunities outweigh the costs. And Clyde said, well, he's not sure. He thinks that, that that's changed, that now China has become stronger and bolder and more confident with more leverage. Do you, and, and understanding that you haven't been in China for a while, do you see, now that you have a different perspective also, a, a change in that regard? Or do you think it's kind of kind of the same way, both from a company's perspective and from the Chinese government's perspective? Well, I, I think I would agree with both of you okay. uh, <laughs> on this, uh, because, uh, you know, China is now 16% of Intel sales, uh, you know, $7 billion of, uh, out of uh, company's total sales, so it's, it's a very important uh, area now and will continue to grow. Mm -hmm. So, you know, lots of benefit from a sales standpoint um, in being there. It's a big area for the company as a place where they're uh, doing venture capital investments. But have about uh, $500 million invested in venture capital in Chinese companies. Um, it's a good source of talent. Uh, so, you know, lots of benefits being there, but, uh, you know, clearly the Chinese government uh, is in a much stronger bargaining position uh, in dealing with foreign companies uh, than it was 20 years ago. Uh, no question about that. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, I think probably the best way to answer your question is that, you know, Intel just announced it was sending a guy that was 
probably the number, one of the top five people in the company. He's moving to China for a couple of years to, you know, be the chairman of uh, our operations there. So, you know, clearly the, uh, the company sees it as a place it intends to, to really, you know, stay and, and prosper. Okay, and you'll deal with the deal with the challenges as as you can, right, or as they come, or Intel will. Yeah, you know, I mean, you you you, you have to know uh, you know what the what the barriers are there and, and be prepared to deal with them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I I'm gonna stay on the line, but I'll shut off my recorder and hand it over to Andy. I. I really, again, appreciate your your time um, and your insight, Jim. Glad to help.